everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of the Behold Podcast on the Genre Equality channel. I'm Hitzer. I'm Hadi. This week, we're going to be talking about some of our favorite sports documentary films mm-hmm. of all time. Uh, some of the sports documentaries that we want to highlight here include Steve James's iconic, seminal 1994 basketball drama, Hoop Dreams, mm-hmm. alongside National Geographic's Death-defying, um, <laughs> free-climbing documentary, Free Solo. We'll be talking about ESPN 30 for 30s, expansive, very detailed, very comprehensive documentary, OJ, Made in America. Mm-hmm. And finally, since F1 season is here and you know F1 just wrapped up in Singapore, let's talk about Asif Kapadia's uh, critically acclaimed documentary about the Formula One driver Senna, Senna. called Senna from 2010. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's begin with Hoop Dreams, though. Uh, man, Hoop Dreams is, in my opinion, one of the greatest sports documentaries ever made. Yeah. Um, it's 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 a wonderful, wonderful three-hour-ish, right, documentary? Yeah, two hours yeah, and 50-plus uh, minutes. Right, right. Yeah. In my opinion, a, a film like Hoop Dreams is... It's what movies are for. It takes us and it shakes us and it makes us think, makes us think in new ways about the world around us, yeah. especially the worlds that we are not privy to, you know, uh, different corners of society and life. Sure. Uh, it gives us the impression of having touched life itself. Um, Hoop Dreams is on one level a documentary about two African-American kids Jesus. named William Gates and uh, Arthur uh, Agee yeah. from uh, Chicago's inner city yep. who are gifted basketball players and dream of someday starring in the NBA. Mm-hmm. On another level, it is about much larger subjects. It's about ambition and competition, mm-hmm. race and class mm-hmm. in American society. American it's, about, it's about the American dream. It's about the American value structures. It's about the daily lives of people like A.G. and Gates and their families who are usually invisible in the mass media. They live on the fringes yeah. of society. Yep. But they also have a determination and resiliency that is a cause for hope. The movie spends six years in the lives of William and Arthur, starting when they are in eighth grade and continuing through their first year of college. Yeah. It was intended or- originally to be a 30-minute short film, mm-hmm. but as the filmmakers followed their two subjects, they realized that this was a much larger and longer story. Mm-hmm. And so we are allowed to watch the subjects grow up during the movie, and this palpable sense of passage of time is like walking for a time in their shoes. Yeah. They literally put us in their shoes. It, it really feels immersive like it that. You know, they, they, were, they were initially spotted during playground games by a scout for St. Joseph's High School yep. in West Suburban Westchester, a basketball powerhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, attending classes there will mean a long daily commute yeah. to a school with few other black faces. Predominantly white uh, high school. Predominantly white. And there's never an instance when William or Arthur or their families doubt the wisdom of this opportunity. St. Joseph's, we hear time and again, is the school where another inner city kid named Isaiah Thomas yep. started his climb to NBA stardom. Detroit you Pistons, know, Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, yeah of, of the, the infamous bad Red boys. boys. Yeah. Um, one image from the, uh, from the film, you know, Gates who lives in the Cabrini Green projects and AG who lives in Chicago, the Chicago South Side, mm-hmm. they get up before dawn on cold winter days to begin their daily 90-minute commute yeah. to Westchester. The streetlights kind of like, you know, reflect off the hard winter ice and we realize what a long road and just what plain hard work is involved in trying to get to the top of the professional sports pyramid. Um, other high school students or people of their age might go to career counselors mm-hmm. who steer them into likely professions, but Arthur and William are working harder Perhaps more hard, perhaps harder than anyone else in their schools for jobs which they are told only have a zero point zero 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 five percent chance exactly. of accomplishing. Yeah, we all know about the dream. We watch Michael Jordan and Isaiah Thomas and others on television, and we understand why any other kid with talent would hope to be out on the same court someday. 
But Hoop Dreams is not simply about basketball. It's about the texture and reality of daily existence mm-hmm. in a big American city. And as the film follows AG and Gates through their high school and into their first year of college, we understand all the human dimensions behind the easy media stereotypes of life in the quote-unquote ghetto. Yeah. Um, this was a beautiful film about American society and it came out in 1994. Yep. It pretty much changed the game as to what sports documentaries could be. They didn't just have to be sports. They didn't just have to be about sportsmen. But they could also address serious and very real social political issues uh, affecting the day to day human lives of these people. Yeah. Um, what do you think about Hoop Dreams, Hadi? Uh, since you've just only recently seen it and it's been 30 or so years since it came out, do you think that this documentary has held up? Uh, and what are your overall opinions of, uh, on the film? It definitely has held up. I mean, in terms of the kind of um, socio political issues that were raised in the film. Mm-hmm. Exactly the same still in America, like yep. the, the 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 struggles that the, both William Gates and Arthur Agee were going through, mm-hmm. still going on in North America right now, like mm-hmm. it feels weirdly timely. In the sense that, um, or rather, nothing much has changed since then, lah. In terms of mm-hmm. equality, in terms of um equity, lah. Um, you know yes. of 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 being afforded the same opportunities and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. People who live in inner Chicago still have the same kind of, of, of problems. Yeah. You know, the same kind of violence around them, the same kind of uh, stigma attached to them. All that was raised in the, in the documentary remains the same. Also, the hope. You know, the hope mm. of, of getting out of there, the, the, the hope of that. Of uh, you know playing for the NBA and all that is something that has never changed. Huh? Yes, for a lot of them, it's the only the only route correct you know, out you of know? um out of that line. And is yeah. that is that weird um cliche you know where oh black black talented black kids only can get out through sports or music you know? Yep. And 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 that's the kind of like there's this certain sadness as I was watching it lah. Yeah, that you this know? is the only path. Yeah. And, you just feel like it's so unfair, but like there's just certain like uh you know structural uh you know structural problems within their society that just can't allow them to thrive, you know, in mm-hmm. the way that they're supposed to, like You know, um, mm. like you know by right, you know, the their own you know the school that they're living nearby should already have a, a elite uh basketball program, you know. Yes. Why? Why only this predominantly white high school, far, far away in like, I don't know, Westchester, Illinois, you know, mm-hmm. when they have to travel so far away just to 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 be part, you know, to just have a small, slim chance of getting out of you know, uh, of their situation, la. Correct. Yeah. So like, hoop dreams really encapsulates all this kind of like, uh, just feeling of like, uh, hope that these two boys have, mm-hmm. and at the same time, this just deep sadness because. Now that it's 30 years on, right? And we see that, you know what? Some things just don't change, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and it further saddens me also that, like, Arthur and he didn't make it to the NBA. La. Absolutely. Yeah, you know? Yeah. And uh, so I don't think both of them didn't make it to the NBA. No, like, like I said, there's a 0.00005% yeah. chance of any player making it to the exactly. NBA, regardless of how good they are. Exactly, you know? Yeah. Ugh, man, um, what what a but seriously one of the best uh, documentaries I've watched. Uh, in, I mean, just mm. seeing them grow up, you know, and seeing them uh, becoming from boys to men, that kind of thing. I think ideally and particularly because it follows people who didn't make it. Usually, yeah, 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 documentaries yeah. are about people like you, you know, like later we'll talk about Alex Honnold Trump, or Trump. Senna or Michael Jordan. Yeah. These are people who have already made it, and there's a. Heartwarming, oh, inspiring! Yeah, yeah, they made it. You know, despite all the obstacles. These are people. There's a tension really here close. because we don't know them. Say again. These are people who came really close to their dreams and all that, and just you know, just couldn't get to the next level, lah. But yeah, yeah, and, and and not because they didn't work hard. Oh, no, or no, no. Yeah, I mean, in the whole yeah. documentary, you see how they progressed and how hard they put, how much effort they they were putting into into you know making their dreams come true, lah. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, that is the that. So therefore, there's this sense of hope, yet this sense of real great sadness as well. 
Mm. Yeah. But the sense of hope is actually really illustrated very well through the depiction of their families yes. and and all the amount of footage that they got of their families and extended families yeah. pulling together to help give these kids a chance. You know, like if one family member is going through a period of trouble, such as Arthur's father who is fighting a drug problem. Yeah. Others. You know, seem to rise to periods of strength. You know, mm-hmm. how if some family members are un- unemployed, or if the lights get turned off, there is also somehow an uncle with a big backyard just right for a family celebration. We see how a strong black church structure provides support and encouragement. How it is rooted in reality. Uh, they accept people as they are, and they believe in redemption. You know, yeah. some people just never give up. You know, Arthur's mother asks the filmmakers, "Do you ever ask yourself how I get by?" on $268 a month and keep this house and feed these children? Do you ever ask yourself that question? Mm-hmm. And frankly, yes, they did. And yes, me as a viewer, I do as well. But another question is how she finds such determination and hope that by the end of the film, miraculously, she has completed her education as a nursing assistant as well, alongside all the other domestic familial responsibilities that she has. Hook Dreams, I think, in my opinion, contains more actual information about life as it is yep. lived in a poor black city neighborhood than any other film I've ever seen, yeah. at least up to this point. Because we see where William and Arthur come from. Yeah. We understand how deeply they hope to transcend, mm-hmm. to use their gifts to become pro athletes. Mm-hmm. We follow their steps along the path that will lead, they hope, from grade school to the NBA. Um, the people at St. Joseph's High are not pleased with the way they appear in the film. Um, they actually filed suit, yeah. uh, saying, among other things, that they were told that the film would be a non-profit project to be aired on PBS and not a commercial venture. Oh, wow. um, the filmmakers responded that they too thought it would, that the amazing response which, which, found it in a theat- which, which gave it a theatrical re- release is a surprise to them. Yeah. Uh, the movie simply turned out to be a masterpiece it and its intended non-commercial slot was not big enough to hold it. Uh, the St. Joseph suit reveals understandable sensitivity because not all of the St. Joseph people come out looking like heroes, right? No, no, of course uh, not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it's as clear as night and day that the only reason Arthur A.G. and William Gates are offered scholarships to St. Joseph's in the first place is because they are gifted basketball players. Yeah. They are hired as athletes mm-hmm. and as surely as if they were free agents in pro basketball, suburban high schools do not often send scouts to the inner city to find future scientists or teachers. Exactly. They send, they send them to find basketball exactly. players. Exactly. So like, come on, yeah. let's not try to hide what you're trying to do. La. Yeah. Yep. Obvi- I mean, yes, on one hand, yes, you're giving chances to people who would not have a chance at all. Mm-hmm. But come on, let's let's get this right. You're using their talent so that you can, you know, win some fucking yep. trophies. La. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So let's not be hypocritical about it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, the morality morality here is clear. Yeah. Like, Saint Joseph's wanted Arthur, recruited him, and would have found tuition funds for him if he had played up to expectations. Yeah, sure. When he did not, the school held the boy's future as hostage. Exactly. For a debt his parents clearly could never have contracted. Exactly. If the school's recruiters had not come scouting great school playgrounds for the boy, mm-hmm. no wonder Saint Joseph's feels uncomfortable about their portrayal here. Its behavior seems like something out Very of... capitalistic. It's almost like it's out of Charles Dickens. You <laughs> know? Like, uh, um, yeah, I mean, this, this, this film is, is great. Uh, it's, it's not only about the boys, it's not only about structural issues in American society, mm-hmm. uh, but it's also about the ebb and flow of life over several Hell years. Yeah. It gives it a novelistic feel, yeah, you know? Yeah. As the careers of the two boys go through changes, so amazing that if this were fiction... I would say that it almost feels unbelievable. Yep. Um, the filmmakers Steve James, Frederick Marx, and Peter Gilbert uh, shot miles of film, 250 hours in all, uh, and that means that they were there for several of the dramatic turning points in the lives of these two young men. Yeah. Uh, for both, there are reversals of fortune. Life seems bleak and then it's redeemed by hope and sometimes triumph. I was caught up in their destinies as I was, uh, as I rarely am in even fiction movies because real life can be stranger than fiction, can be more inspiring than fiction, uh, than, than fiction or can be more harrowing than fiction. Uh, I think many filmgoers are reluctant to see documentaries for re- reasons I don't understand. Yeah. But good ones are frequently more absorbing and entertaining than fiction. Hoop Dreams, however, is not only a documentary, it also feels poetic and novelistic. It also feels journalistic in its exposés. Yeah. 
Um, it's one of the great movie-going experiences of my lifetime. Uh, that, that's why I consider it to be, in my opinion, one of the best uh, sports documentaries of all time. Sure. Yeah. Uh, any final thoughts on uh, Hoop Dreams before we move on? I mean, um, I, 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 I kind of agree with you there. Uh, yeah. It uh, It's just because this kind of slice of life kind of feeling too, you know. Like you mm-hmm. get this... Uh, I mean, but at the end of the documentary, you can't believe how involved you are with these kids. Yeah. And it's just... Yeah, but it was just that, oh man, they, they were so close. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but yeah, uh, Hoop Dreams is a definitely must-see like, if you have never seen it before. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's available on YouTube. Yes, it's available on YouTube, but uh, also available on the Criterion Collection yeah. if you're subscribed to that. And uh, uh, this is an interesting thing also. If you want to kind of find out what's happening with Arthur and William, they actually have a podcast called Hoop Dreams, the podcast. Oh, shit. Uh, you Google them. Yeah, I mean, when I was doing the research on them. La. Yep. Yeah, so they actually discussed um, posts their documentary of their lives and you know a bunch mm-hmm. of other things they're doing you know uh, it's more about like you know how you know sports and entertainment about social inequalities uh, choices young people make you know that kind of thing uh, pressure mm-hmm. from agents so it's a bunch of and they, they bring in like people who um, you know, like Isaiah Thomas came on the web, the, the podcast uh, oh, you know, that kind of thing like. so it's actually quite quite an interesting uh, uh, thing if you want to find out like posts Hoop doc, uh, dreams thirty years from now, you know mm-hmm. what what they're doing nowadays. You know they have a podcast. Uh. That's great. Yeah. Um, as they should lah. As they should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they have so much insight. You know, especially, um, you know, being in, in the positions that they were in lah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, next we'll move on to free solo mm. from National Geographic, available on Disney Plus. Yep. Uh, under the National Geographic section. Uh, I saw it at a projector a couple of years ago, and I think you did as well. Yeah, right? I did. Alex Honnold. Yep. Alex Honnold. Okay, so ever since uh, John Krakower chronicled the disastrous 1996 season on Everest mm-hmm. in the film Into Thin Air, there's been no shortage of books and movies about climbing. Mm-hmm. There is something about the death, something about death being one errant footstep away that feels like catnip to armchair adventurers like us staying at home, you know. For the uninitiated, the rush of scaling seemingly unscalable peaks is hard to fathom. But even for professional climbers, Mm -hmm. there is a subculture of thrill-seekers that even they don't understand. This subculture consists of free soloists. What are free soloists? They climb without ropes, they climb mountains without harnesses, they climb mountains without safety gear or any kind. Mm-hmm. One mistake and you're dead. GG. Um, documentarians Jimmy Chin and Elizabeth Chai Vasaheli, uh, and they document one particular free soloist in their exhilarating new documentary, Free Solo. Uh, it focuses on one of these daredevils, who is a lanky, socially awkward, 33-year-old named Alex Honnold, who in 2017 set out to scale the 3,200-foot sheer granite face of Yosemite's El El Capitan with nothing more than his calloused fingertips and a film crew, some of whom were so nervous that they turned their backs to the cameras. Uh, It was insane and it had never been done before, which made someone like Alex Honnold want it even more. Meanwhile, his mostly supportive girlfriend, um, grapples with her lover's blasé attitude towards falling to his death back at sea level. If you are afraid of heights, Free Solo isn't for you. Um, I'm not afraid of heights, and even I had to watch some of its more vertigo-inducing moments through my fingers. What makes it more than just ghoulish voyeurism, though, it's how it paints a surprisingly rich character study of a young man and the obsession that drives him in the end the answer may only be slightly deeper than because it's there I want to do it because it's there Mm -hmm. but for 100 nerve-wracking minutes Free Solo brings us to one man's almost suicidal quest and it does so with sympathy and grace and a ton of adrenaline I love Free Solo particularly because mountain climbing or climbing in general 
isn't a sport that I am intimately familiar with, like basketball or football or racing and things like that. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. so this brings you into the mind of someone who would do something so crazy. What do you think about free solo, Hardy? Jeez. Oh my! I mean, the moments of like you know where you feel your balls shrink. Mm-hmm. Like this guy is okay. Alex Hono, the the subject of this film, right? Mm-hmm. And his crazy, insane quest to climb El Capitan, you know, without anything. Yep. It's just a sight to behold. Great cinematography here and there, by the way. Absolutely. Right? Or just the visuals and all that. But the preparation that it takes and all that, you know, the the mental fortitude you have to have, the mm-hmm. ability to kind of transcend life and death itself, you know. Because, mm-hmm. honestly, a, a slight mistake and you're dead. Yep. You know, and I mean, I think the first part, of the, if I remember correctly, the first part of the documentary there was like an accident yes you know where he injured himself in when you know he, with ropes and all um as he was climbing our captain he received news of a friend a follow who, who had just died exactly yeah. yeah you know so it's 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 it makes it even more real you know the the, the and more dangerous what he was trying to attempt and yep. i think the documentary captures this so well that the the emotions of alex who is surprisingly fucking calm Yep. Like, he has to yeah, be. He has right? to be uh, and it's yeah. amazing how like chill this guy is, man. Mm. Like this guy it's like this kind of guy, if you bring him to a haunted house, he'll be just chill throughout the entire thing. Yeah. You know? That kind of ice coldness in his veins, you know. Oh uh, and and then, but also, you know, you, you mean you see his triumphs and all that, you, you see how um, happy he was uh, you know when he did his phone call on the top of the mountain. Mm-hmm. I was like... Yeah. I felt like I was on that journey with him, you know? Right. Uh, I mean, but from the safety of my fucking chair, lah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Free Solo captures this life and death thing so well. Um, it captures the eccentricities of this, this culture, subculture. Yeah, and... Our- and of the man in himself too. Yeah, yeah. and it, it does it so well that uh, I can't help but be impressed uh, at how how crazy this man is. Uh, you know? Uh, yeah. And yeah, so Free Solo, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, one of those documentaries where it really sheds light on this weird subculture. Absolutely, you know, uh, yeah. Um, and because of it, then I went on to research Alex and then you know, I actually uh, watched his podcast with Joe mm. and he's the exact same guy is in the documentary, yeah. man. This guy yeah. is just a crazy person. I'm sorry, yeah. I, I don't know. There's no other words to describe it. It's just, he's a crazy person. He's crazy to us. He's crazy to even other mountain climbers. Exactly. You know what I mean? You know, but, yeah. you know, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, again, uh, I love the visuals of this. I love how the story was packed into this. Uh, uh, there's this like B story, uh, you know, about his life and his trials and tribulations as well. Sure. You know, his relationship with his friends, his girlfriend. Uh, yep. All this was also explored. Um, yeah, um, it's a definite recommend, la, Like, please go and watch this if you haven't. Just, just so you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, just so you, you know. know. Like, like using like Honot is like this man who is given to extreme focus, obsessive drive. Yeah, he lives a highly Spartan lifestyle. Very. Meaning, he he lives out of a van and mostly eats cans of beans yep. warmed on a hot plate. His personality matches his ascetic yes. lifestyle. Yes, Honot doesn't talk much and is prone to bluntness when he does speak. He is socially awkward. Yes, um, but though he might appear monk-like, Honot is actually quite the opposite. He is yes. this thrill seeker of the highest order, yeah. a rock climber with a fascination for free soloing. Why does Honot do this? It's a question that probably that is probably impossible to answer since there's no real justification for an activity like that other than simple passion. Mm-hmm. Free Solo instead is largely about, I think, the intensity of knowing a person like Hono, of having so uh, someone so unusual in your life and the ways in which he can you know, excite or frighten people around him simply by doing his job. Yep. I think the mission at hand in Free Solo is, is climbing El Capitan, right? But the secret star of the film is Sunny McCandles, uh, who okay. is Hono's girlfriend, yeah. who somehow manages to tunnel through the deep bedrock of Honot's disposition and connect with him. 
Though Free Solo is following Hornote as he meticulously plots the path to climbing up El Capitan with only his hands and feet, it's just as thrilling to watch uh, his girlfriend try to convince him to live a slightly more normal, settled-down life, even as she knows that he might plummet from a cliff the next day. Um, the two filmmakers, uh, Elizabeth and Chin, right, yeah. are a married couple and are, they are no strangers to climbing. They're they are climbers themselves, mm-hmm. you know. But even to them, scaling El Capitan without ropes is something that has literally been not, never been done before. And it's so complex that it requires Hornot to plan out every single moment of the route yeah. by climbing it with ropes at first, you know, and safety gear yeah. over and over again until he plans it out so meticulously that he can do it without ropes. Exactly. That process means that Hornot, the filmmakers, and the girlfriend are acutely aware of the hazards ahead. Like, they know every unsafe foothold, every tenuous crevice, you know. And through it all, Hornot is so unperturbed, you know. And like you said, like uh, the filmmakers delve into the specifics of his life history. They even look at a map of Hornot's brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, his fear center is not dead, but is largely unresponsive to stimuli, uh, says the doctor. Uh, but again, the filmmakers are not trying to solve the mystery of what might drive someone to do that. Yeah. The result is a documentary that's fascinated with the subject without being reverent. You know, one that is beautifully photographed. Um, but it doesn't ignore the horrifying consequences of it fails. My favorite B plot of the film yeah. focuses on the filmmakers themselves and the camera crew. Oh my god. Because yes. it seems like when they were when they were filming him climbing our Capitan, because of the distractions of the camera crew, he frequently failed, right? He frequently mm-hmm. dropped. Back when he was like wrecking with uh, safety gear, right? So at least he wasn't so bad. But they were debating within themselves, the the camera crew, like, do we try to capture him as he's climbing without ropes? Yeah. Are we going to risk his life? Because obviously, is it on us if he dies? Exactly, you know? because you're, you're you're filming when he dies, you are going to capture his death. If... Yeah, and it, it could be because of you that he dies. Your distractions, the camera, yeah. you know, people. And that's talking, a whole yeah. other documentary. Correct. Yeah, which they also covered in here, like, Their own ethical considerations yeah. as a documentary film crew. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, great film. It's a, such a gripping, rewarding documentary to watch. Uh, one of the most death-defying. It's. Think of when you watch like Top Gun Maverick or Mission Impossible, uh, Fallout, or things sure. like that. You know? That is fiction. Mm-hmm. And I know Tom Cruise does a lot of that shit himself, but there's nowhere near the level of watching something like Alex Hono climb El Capitan without ropes. This is a real guy doing a real thing and he might die at any moment, you know. Um, I watched the film at first without knowing who Alex Hono is, without knowing whether he died or not, which made it a bit more, uh, a bit more thrilling for me, a bit, more, a bit scarier mm-hmm. because I didn't know how the film was going to end. But I think even if you do know how it's going to end, it doesn't remove it doesn't. the sweaty palms, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, that, that you have watching this. Yeah. Uh, any final thoughts on Free Solo before we move on? I mean, it's Age of the Seed kind of uh, entertainment. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah so, yeah, yeah, go watch it just because it's just bizarre. It's just interesting. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next up, let's move on to a subject that nearly everyone knows about. Well, uh, this is an ESP. Depends on your Oh, true, 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 true. Yeah, yeah, yeah true, true. Uh, this is about O.J. Simpson, and it's an ESPN 30 for 30 documentary called O.J. Made in America. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, I sort of cheated a little bit with this uh, pick yes. because when O.J. Made in America first premiered, mm-hmm. it premiered as a seven-hour film. It did, yeah. Uh, at, with, an at, uh, with an intermission. Yeah, mm-hmm. with an uh, intermission, yeah, at TIFF and Cannes and all of yeah. that. But when it was transferred over to ESPN, okay, TV. it ended okay. as a five-part documentary. Yeah. So for good reason, yes, la. for good reason. La. But I classify this as a film because it was originally presented as a film, uh, and then it was later cut up by editors for the TV presentation. Mm-hmm. But anyways, uh, this film OJ Made in America comes twenty plus years after a California jury declared OJ Simpson not guilty yeah. of the murders of Nicole Brown Simpson mm-hmm. and Ronald Goldman after a trial that changed the way people watch TV. Um, the two best things on American television that year that this documentary came out was FX's People vs. O.J. Simpson, American Crime Story. Uh-huh. And then, on the heels of that, simultaneously, ESPN's O.J. Made America. So weird. This, yeah. This, and it, was, it was the O.J. season like, that year, remember? It was like O.J.'s comeback, you know? Uh, pretty much, right? Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Um, this seven and a half hour documentary is... In my opinion, the best piece of original programming that ESPN 30 for 30 has ever produced, and they have produced some great ones. A lot of great ones, but this is the best of them. Um, you know, like ESPN 30 for 30 has spent the past few years producing some of the best sports documentaries around. Sure. 
but they have never previously come close to producing a work of this magnitude and power. Mm-hmm. While FX's American Crime Story focused solely on the Simpson trial itself, uh, this, uh, that, that, that miniseries wasn't particularly interested in O.G. the man. It wasn't interested in his backstory, mm-hmm. his alleged victims, or even really whether or not he committed the murder. It was basically a legal drama, a compelling legal drama, but it was just a legal drama. Yeah. Made in America, on the other hand, is a different beast altogether. Ezra Edelman's documentary gets at the entirety of Simpson's story. While the murders and trial are certainly the centerpiece of the film, we start from the beginning. Yeah. Not the beginning of O.J. Simpson's oh. life, although we do arrive there eventually, yeah. but rather the beginning of O.J. Simpson's life as O.J. Simpson, mm-hmm. the icon. Much of the film's you know, uh, first part, uh, is devoted to Simpson's football stardom yeah. over at the University of Southern California, where he won a Heisman Trophy in 1968 mm-hmm. and began building his reputation as one of the greatest running backs of all time. And partly due to its virtuistic storytelling and partly due to its sheer scope, Made in America often feels like several masterpieces unfolding at, at a single time. Simply as a documentary about law enforcement, the film is painstaking and enraging. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it traces the racism and brutality that have marked the LAPD throughout yeah. the modern life Barbie of King. the city, right up to the 1992 acquittal of the four officers who were caught on video assaulting Rodney King, yeah. an event that sent the city into cataclysms just two years before Simpson was arrested for murder. Uh, many of the least sympathetic interview subjects in the film are cops. You know, starting with Mark Furman, yeah. the detective who's, who lies under oath about his own history of vicious racism and did catastrophic damage to the prosecution's case. Oh, yeah. 20 years after the fact, Furman seems vaguely repentant, but also kind of grossly self-pitying, unable to see the murders of Brown and Goldman and the resulting trial as anything more than something that happened to him. It wasn't about him. It was about other people. Yeah. There's a lot of tough talk about the other investigating officers as well. The men who two decades ago, were so starstruck by O.J. Simpson that they disastrously, they disastrously botched his initial interrogation. Mm-hmm. Um, even though his history of domestic abuse was well-known throughout the department. That's juice, man. Yeah. Um, as a, it also, it's also a film about race in America. Yeah. Made in America is razor-sharp and remarkably nuanced. Yeah. You know, back in 1996, the most incisive commentary on the O.J. verdict came from Chris Rock, yeah. uh, who during a stand-up special remarked simply that black people too happy, white people too mad. Um, Edelman's film drives home the fact that many spectators who were so deeply invested in either a guilty or not guilty verdict had reasons that far exceeded the specific crime at hand. There were a larger social political issues involved beyond whether he did commit the murder or he didn't. Uh This apparently extended to members of the jury, one of whom carelessly blames Nicole for for her own death on camera by saying that she should have left OG earlier. Then admits that she voted to acquit as payback for the King verdict, you know. Yep. Um, and many of the conversations about justice that grew so heated that during the trial had little to so do complex. with the actual defendant, let alone the actual victims, okay. you know. Um, and the film is not just about those two things. It also draws out some of the thorniest schisms at the heart of the actual trial and, and, one, and, and the public's responses to it. You know, On one side, there was this belief that OJ was the tormented embodiment yeah. of race as an American cage itself, that no matter how famous and accomplished one becomes, there is simply no escaping the injustices of being black in America. On the other hand, there was the belief that race was a quote-unquote card played by OJ and his lawyers, which was also true, that a man who throughout his celebrity had shown an abiding lack of interest towards the struggles of other black people in his community was now cynically exploiting those sympathies and political energy of that community. Mm-hmm. It's a testament to both Made America's remarkable sophistication and to the country's remarkably twisted racial pathologies that by the end of the film, one has the sense that both sides may have been equally right. Yeah. Uh, um, what do you think about Made America? And it was such a great triumph of a documentary, all seven and a half hours yeah. of it. Yeah. I mean, first of all, it sheds light on a subject that you know I'm very passionate about, American football. Uh, oh, okay. I almost thought you were going to say murder, but okay. Sure. Um, yeah. So, I mean, O.J. Simpson is... I, you, the documentary does very well to, to establish how how much of a superstar O.J. Simpson was. Mm, In terms mm-hmm. of his skills on the football field, honestly, one of the best running backs. He's, in fact... I mean, recently, uh, the NFL celebrated its 100-year 
anniversary, mm. guess who's on the team? Oh, AJ. OJ. OJ's on the team, man. He's he's yeah. he's, he's uh, one of the 100 best players of all time. Lah. And, I mean, you cannot discount that, lah, you know, as much as, sure. you know, because of the feel, he was near unstoppable. Lah. Sure, uh, yes. You know, In the courtroom also. <laughs> <laughs> and there was something about, you know, and one thing that the, the I think the documentary does very well is, is separate OJ pre and post, right? Pre-OJ yes. was this guy that was trying to run away from his blackness. Mm-hmm. And then post, uh, then post uh, or during the trial, it was OJ trying to find his blackness. Mm-hmm. Because he realized that, you know, he needed to be, in the, the, you know, he, he, he suddenly represented, uh, you know, the injustice of, of the justice system in America. And it was so weird because it was very kind of clear that he did it. Right, but this this whole tapestry of LA during that period of time was kind of um, marred by you know racial inequalities, uh, abuse of the uh, by the police forces, um, so many uh, so many things, nothing to do with the trial itself. Be, uh, gave the trial, I mean, but contributed to the trial's verdict. And that was something that uh, uh, the, 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 the documentary does very well, where it showcased uh, what was going on in in LA during that time, mm, and and, and you know how 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 well they kind of paint this picture of the the racial tensions of LA during that period of time. Yep. In, co- in contrast to kind of um, person OJ was. You know, mm. uh, and yeah, you're right. OJ was this superstar. He was an act. He was an up and coming actor at that period of time. Yeah. You know, he he really starred in a few movies. You know, wrong. You know, uh, Naked Gun stuff like that. Yeah, and um, he was going to become the next Jim uh, Jim Brown. Mm-hmm. You know, and and so it became you know it, it totally changed his image lah. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the people. It's suddenly all the white people that he has been cozying up to, right? They don't want anything to do with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I and this is, and this is beautifully reflected, right, on the other show. Uh, what's the other show called? American Crime Story. American Crime Story. Yeah, you know the Ryan Murphy show. Yeah, the Ryan Murphy show, and it so it kind of works like uh, how you say you kind of have to watch both, right, to kind of have this like dramatic representation, and then. This uh documentary kind of like fills in the gaps as well, mm-hmm. yeah. And and um, and for some reason, I feel that you need to watch both. Mm. Yeah, just so that you can have this weirdly detailed understanding of the O.J. Simpson trial and how big it was in America. Um, to people who may not be familiar, these two shows were made independently. Exactly, not it's like... not like they came at the same time or anything like that. I don't know, they did come at the same time. time. It wasn't like they were made uh, to be released at In the conjunction. same time. In conjunction. Yeah. Yeah. It was so bizarre. So yeah, whatever it is, OJ Simpson had a comeback year that year. Uh, kudos to him. But I think if, if I remember correctly, he was actually jailed for robbery like uh, soon after that. They turned out for stealing his own baseball cards. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but, uh, sorry, uh, for football cards, yeah. Um, but I think like you were talking about his fame, right? I yeah. think that is actually the most provocative aspect of the documentary. It is. It's uh, it's it's covering fame. Yeah. In America, um, Simpson's post football cel- celebrity is how bizarre and amorphous it was. You know, after his football career ended in 1979, yeah. O.J. Simpson worked as a pitchman, mm-hmm. um, a bland one, um, as a sideline reporter, yep. not a very good one, nope. as an actor, an okay one. Okay. Uh, and after football, OJ was just famous for being famous, yeah. which is the most insidious kind of fame there is. And it yet, is. an adult lifespan accustomed to the adulation of millions who'd never known him clearly brought out some monstrous tendencies in his personality. Um, Simpson's well-documented history of violence clearly stems from, at least in part, a sense of entitlement and that violence was in turn enabled by countless people who were blinded by his celebrity. Yeah. Uh, and some of the people blinded by his celebrity were members of the LAPD. Made in America is also a movie about fame 
as well as addiction and pathology and crime and policing and race in America. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the O.J. Simpson that emerges in this film is a man running harder and faster than he ever ran on the football field. And from the short period of his life before he became famous uh, to right after when he became a, a celebrity and then a criminal and then an infamous figure, uh, Edelman's film repeatedly emphasizes the degree to which Simpson strove to not be black, yeah. not white, just OJ, uh, and the lengths that Simpson um, often went to distance himself from his own blackness and black people, like you said, yeah. you know. That's a very, very good point. Uh, and in, in many ways, I found Made America to be some of the most fascinating and wrenching things yeah, uh, from the sports documentary standpoint that I've ever seen. Um, his his post-trial life has also been one of prolonged humiliation and degradation. Um, it's just been this tawdry mess of scams and drugs and hangers-on and bungling attempts to, in some way anyway, squeeze more profit out of simply being O.J. Simpson, mm-hmm. you know. Um, like you said, he spent the past eight years in prison. Yeah. Came out for, for a botch robbery. He came out, yeah. Uh, but it was for a botch robbery attempt in which he attempted to steal his own memorabilia yep. at, at gunpoint. Um, you know, it's it's quite an amazing story for good and for bad. Lah. And and OG Me in America covers it all mm-hmm. in comprehensive detail. Yeah. Uh, any last thoughts on Made in America before we move on to Senna? Um, let's, uh, yeah, just watch it. Just so you can understand the insane level of celebrity, like America has created this culture of celebrity that surpasses any other country. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a very American uh, thing, right? So, uh, this, uh, this idea of worshipping celebrity. Mm-hmm. And it show, it's showcased here. Uh, amongst the, 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 the mess of American politics, American racial... Uh, hang-ups, uh, brutality, blah, blah, blah. Things that, again, we are still discussing 30 years, of, uh, not 30 years, oh, wait, actually, yeah, 30 years from when it happens. Uh. Yep. Yeah. Definitely highly recommended. Highly Catch recommended, it on ESPN yeah. 30 for 30. Also available, uh, apparently, on Disney+, Plus, yeah. uh, because Disney owns ESPN. Exactly. So, yeah, you can catch it there. Now, let's move on to Senna, uh, Formula 1 racing legend. Uh, audiences don't need to be familiar with or give a damn about F1, in my opinion, to get drawn into Senna, which is a finely wrought documentary about the Brazilian driver Arten Senna, known for both his incredible talent and his death at the age of 34 at the infamous 1994 San Bruno Grand Prix. Senna is considered one of motorsporting's greats, but Asif Kapadia's film also makes it clear that he was a sort of artist. His talent, accompanied by an unquenchable thirst for excellence, and a belief that racing offered him a connection to God. He was very religious. Asif Kapadia composes Senna entirely out of archival footage of Senna on the track and off, preparing for races, relaxing at home, being interviewed by the press as his fame grew, and jittering in the corner of a car-mounted camera as the road goes by, impossibly fast beneath him. Uh, contributions from commentators, friends, family, and even his rival, Alan Prost, take place over audio, the speaker identified in text on screen, but the gaze is always on Senna as a young man competing in karting, uh, what he calls pure racing, making his name in the rainy conditions in which he excelled and clashing with uh, F1 boss Jean-Marie Balestre uh, in an uncannily dramatic arc, particularly at the height of Senna's competition with Prost, which spanned uh, several years. Their relationship became genuinely antagonistic, one of the greatest rivalries in sports and ended only when Prost retired after being faced with the prospect of being Senna's teammate for a second time, you know. Prost was nicknamed the professor for his calculated approach. He was cool-headed and adept with F1 politics, whereas Senna seemed to thrive on risks and couldn't help speaking out, sometimes to his own detriment. There's no better example of this divide that when, at the race that decided the 1989 championship, the two men ran off the road. They ran each other off the road. Senna returned to the track and masterfully won the race against all odds, though Prost successfully requested his disqualification for illegally cutting. Um, Prost isn't villainized, though. His displeasure with Senna's aggression seems all too justified given the danger of the sport and what seems to be foreshadowing death anywhere. That threat of tragedy running through Senna isn't just due to awareness of how its subject died, as one of two drivers killed in an accident-heavy race that led to 
the reevaluation of F1 safety standards. Senna himself, who was boyishly handsome, beloved in his home country, is a figure of melancholy too. So devoted to a sport in which the human behind the wheel is only one element, it would be impossible for him to meet his own standards. You know, um, a lot of racing, you know, it also covers how racing kind of evolved into this technological warfare that took the drivers out of the equation for a time. Um, I thought this was a great documentary about a sport that I was not too familiar with and about a figure that I knew of but wasn't familiar with either. Uh, you being an F1 fan, what do you think about Senna? Um, yeah, I mean, first of all, yeah, great F1 fan, right? I've been an F1 fan since the days of Michael Schumacher. So Senna kind of just predates that. Uh, yes. Since his death in 1994. Michael Schumacher was just coming up yes, at that time. Yes, correct. Right? He, was, uh, he was with Benetton at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, um, I think, if I remember correctly, Senna was in Williams. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, he is, uh, Senna is one of those kind of characters, or one of those athletes which are just, um, just one of those phenomenal athletes, or one of those all-time greats, the Michael Jordan kind of of uh, vibe, you know? Sure. Uh, the ability to, you know, that, that passion that is behind his driving, uh, the way that he's so talented that other drivers can't believe what they're seeing, mm-hmm. you know, his ab- uh, his amazing ability to race in the rain, like Senna is one of those all-time greats, and this documentary captures that quite well, um, mm-hmm. especially the non-racing aspects of it. Like yep. even though the I mean the racing aspects is covered really well, it is the you know post-race the one the Senna that is among the people. You know, among his family, that 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 sheds light on the kind of character this guy is, lah. You know, and he's, uh, you know, he's a good son. You know, he 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 wants to do a lot of things for the Brazilian people. You know, and you know, he was one of those guys that just lived and breathed uh, racing, lah. You know, um, I mean, it was just sad, also, as you see his life getting cut, uh, cut short, lah. And, and it's something that he loved doing, lah. Um, and you know how you know he when a drive he was so passionate about racing you know not only just the for himself but also for the sport uh you could see how he fought back against the politics that was happening around him uh he he was a character that was um very uh complex in that sense Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. And yeah, his rivalries with Prost, you know, his rivalries with uh, the the F one uh, governing body, you could mm-hmm. see uh, all the all this all this uh, this journey that he had to go through to become the best of there was And I mean, until today, you know, people still uh, see that Senna is one of the best drivers of all time. You know, yeah. with, with uh, the I mean, the way that the cars were built that back then, you know. Uh, mm. where there was little aerodynamic uh, control. Uh, it was basically riding a wild beast. La, you know? mm-hmm. uh, and those cars were even faster than today's F1 cars. Uh, yeah. It was at 1,200 horsepower. You had this, uh, you know, you had very little safety technology that exists today, like the halo and all that, which protects, you know, cars uh, from uh, drivers from being uh, crushed by rolling and all that stuff. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And and so, yeah, so Senna was, was driving in a time where there were other great drivers as well. And that's one of the other differences la, between mm, him. Other great drivers with different styles. Yeah. Right? I love the co- contrast in styles with pros with such this yeah. meticulous, proper, professor, professor type driver. Yeah, exactly. They did really... Professor versus artist. Yeah, rivalry, correct. Right? Yeah. They, they, they fleshed that rivalry out so well. you know. Yeah. But by the end of it, even both of them were like, uh, statesman of the sports, you know, by the mm. end, you know, when both of them uh, in 1991, I think, that was the last time that both of them were standing at the podium together. Right. Yeah, you know, that kind of thing where both kind of grew and kind of, uh, you know, had their own thing going on. Yeah. Right, right, right. But yeah, yeah. so again, Senna captures uh, F1, the sport, in this very romantic light, mm. uh, as well as the drivers, you know, what makes a racing driver tick, lah. Um, yep. Yeah, it's really well done. Um, it's not the best F1 documentary out there. What would you say is the best F1 documentary out there? Right now, it's actually uh, the, the TV series. 
Uh, what is it called? Uh, so survive, drive to survive or something like that. Drive to survive. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I've heard a lot of people talk about that. Yeah, yeah, but that's a TV series, so it's not counted, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, but it, it, in your opinion, it captures the F one uh, uh, atmosphere better. In a way, because it it focuses on all the drivers, all the teams, you know, that, uh, and it goes through the entire season with you. Sure. Yeah. So in 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 terms of that lah, it, it does capture a lot. La. Yeah. Right, right, but right. In terms right. Of, it's not. It's not a personal biopic. Correct, like this one correct, was, correct. Yeah. But in terms of personal biopics, this this is one of the best days. Yeah. Um. Asif Kapadia actually does a lot of great personal biopics or bi- biopic documentaries. Mm-hmm. He did one for um, Amy Winehouse. Yes. Uh, which is equally criti- uh, critically acclaimed. He did one for Maradona as well, which is also equally. Yes, equally I was just going to bring that up. The Maradona one. Yep, yeah, yeah. Asikapadia is great at this type of uh, documentary filmmaking, specifically focusing on one subject, their life from beginning to end. Yeah. And only using archival footage, you know what I mean? Like letting the subject tell his own story. Correct, correct. Yes, and that's what, something I really appreciate in this one. Because all yep. the words were from Senna, you know? Yeah. Of people who were around Senna. Yes. Yeah. And Yeah, yeah like, amazing. Yeah, it's yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, yeah, it does well to capture the greatness of Senna. And respect Senna's legacy in the the sport itself. Oh, one hundred percent agreed, yeah. man. Yeah. Um. Anyways, that wraps it up for this episode of Behold. As always, we cap it off with what's making us happy this month. Hey. Uh, so in this month for October, Hadi, what have you been watching, reading, listening <laughs> to, playing, or whatever so is making you happy? I'm so lame, but uh, the rookie is back for season five. Cool. Okay. <laughs> so that's my team. Cop show, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is he still a rookie five years in? No, 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 no. He's like a corporal. But now oh, okay. he's training rookies. Ah, so <laughs> the title still makes sense. Yes, exactly. Yep. Uh, yeah, so it's a, uh, it's one of my just one of my network shows that I've kept up over the years. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, I really enjoy it just because, you know, I love Nathan Fillion. Right, yeah. okay. It's not one of his best works, by the way, but it still is, you know, I, I, uh, there's really cool storylines that, that are fun to, to go through uh, mm. week to week, you know, um, uh yeah, it's it's one of those guilty pleasures, I guess. Okay. Yeah, there's a bunch of network shows that I'm watching. I don't know why, but you know me like I'm a network show kind of guy lah. All right. Yeah. Okay. So stuck in the nineties. Yeah, man. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, uh, what are the other network shows that you've been watching that uh, you would like? Oh, it's another. Uh, com- it's a comic book. Okay. Comic book. Yeah, sure. Fine. Uh, Berserker Volume Two. Oh yeah 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. That's out too. Uh, I I'm wait, I haven't read it yet, but I'm 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 getting it. I just bought it, so I can't wait to read it. Okay. Yeah, I'm Berserker Volume One was awesome. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, again not the best comic book. It's just that I I really love Keanu Reeves. Yep. Yeah, that kind of thing, like You know me, lah. Um, looking mm. forward to to reading Volume Two soon. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? Several recommendations this month. Uh, Rami is back for season three. Oh, yes. Um, created by the Egyptian-American comedian Rami mm-hmm. Yusuf. This series has been a thoughtful, artful, and complex depiction of a young Muslim man yes. struggling to reconcile his religion and culture with more contemporary millennial anxieties mm-hmm. in the Western world. Uh, season three continues to keep up a very, very high level of dramedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Muslims, uh, Atlanta for Muslims is what I like to call Rami. Rami. Yeah. Um, and season three is its strongest season yet. Mm-hmm. Um, another TV show that is uh, debuting uh, or returning this year mm-hmm. or this month is uh, Babylon Berlin season four. Um, I really, really love Babylon Berlin yeah. as uh, I think uh, Hadi knows. Yeah, yeah. It's a German show set in Weimar, Germany, mm-hmm. which is the era that is between uh, World War One and World War Two, so it's post World War One, yeah. pre World War Two. Um, it follows a German detective who is, you know, uh, a, a homicide detective, and it delves into the world of uh, nightlife, criminals, uh, political agitators, communists, fascists, uh, uh, liberals who are fighting over the heart of Germany post World yeah. War One. And right now in season four, it's kind of devolving into you know the fascists are winning, mm-hmm. uh, so the end is coming. Uh, really get great depiction of an era of Germany that not many other dramas have ever covered before. Um, in fact, I will go so far as to say as no other drama has ever covered this era of Germany specifically. They always either cover World War One or World War Two after World War Two, yeah. or the Cold War. You know, yeah. When it but was this Berlin. middle era is very fascinating. Sorry, when it was East and West Berlin, yeah, yeah, yeah. This one Weimar is very, yeah, post World War One because it was such a depressing time for Germany. 
Yes, but also at the same time, also a very free and liberal time. Um, mm. It was a ex- when Germany was an extremely liberal government. You know? It was. Uh, yeah, so which is why nightlife was thriving. We saw the criminal underbelly was thriving. Mm-hmm. Uh, the communists were on their way up, clashing with the liberals, and mm-hmm. because of the communists and liberal fighting, liberals fighting each other, they sort of yeah. neither of them saw the the fascists coming up, the Nazis coming up. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. Great depiction of that era. Uh, Mob Cycle 100, one of my favorite enemies, is back for season 3 as well, after a three-year hiatus. Oh, nice. uh, it comes from the same creator as One Punch Man, but hot take here, Mob Cycle 100 is funnier, smarter, and an all-around better show than One Punch Man. Sure. And I think it, it continues to be the case in season 3. Mm. Uh, one of my favorite documentary parodies, as a show called Documentary Now, is back after a five-year hiatus. Mm-hmm. Uh, documentary Now pretends to be a long-running news magazine series uh-huh. uh, and it is introduced in the midst of its 50th season. It's kind of akin to ESPN, ESPN's 30 for 30. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's currently in its fourth season or the 53rd season according to the show's universe. Uh, and this obscure gem on IFC continues to delight with a wide range of peculiarly precise spoofs on iconic non-fiction movies ranging from The Artist is Present to Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Uh-huh. Uh, more than just superficial jabs at the format, it's genuinely startling how accurately each episode imitates the style and tone of the documentary that it's parodying. Uh-huh. So yeah, uh, go check out uh, documentary now as well. Uh, finally, on the TV side of things, I want to recommend Chainsaw Man, which debuts this week. Uh, Chainsaw Man is a very, very hyped manga about a guy who strikes a deal with the devil uh, to turn various body parts into chainsaws. Um, it's crazy, it's wild, it's absurd. Uh, and I can't wait to see how the anime adaptation captures its brutality and bizarreness in, in, um, in action format. Nice. Um, in animation format. So oh I my god, so. can I, can I uh, give a few more recomm- not recommendations about what I'm watching that makes me happy? Cool, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what the, the whole point of the segment is about. This is so stupid, but it's more network shows. Yep. This is New York. Sure. Uh, police procedural. Bread and butter mm-hmm. of like network TV forever, right? Yeah, alongside hospital dramas and ego dramas. Exactly. So this one is, yeah. uh, you know, it's more of uh, how the, you know, post, you know, George Floyd and all that, it's uh, how the police department want to conduct policing differently. Mm. Yeah, but then also still, you know, with the, uh, with the whole politics, with the whole, you know, the usual stuff, like, you know, uh, that we've yep. seen in like NYPD Blue, that kind of thing. This is for the creators of NYPD Blue, by the way. Sure. Yeah, it's not bad. It's quite interesting. Jimmy Smith and Manel Warren did the stack cast. Lah. Um, okay. And yes, I mean, from the first two episodes I've seen, it has a lot of potential. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> another one is The Rookie Feds. The what? The Rookie mm-hmm. colon Feds. Okay. So now it's about... Uh, <laughs> a rookie federal agent. Yeah. The oldest... Sure. So you know the first one is about the oldest uh, recruit a rookie in the LAPD, right? Sure. So this is the oldest recruit in the FBI. La. Okay. There we go. So, yay. Oh, so awesome. the, uh, the reboot of uh, Quantum Leap has premiered. Okay. Yeah, so that's fun. I guess we might be covering it for genre. Whenever it ends. Yeah. Yeah. We can. Uh, you remind me when it ends, uh, since you're watching will, it, and yeah. I'll, I'll assign you to it. Ken. Uh, right, yeah. Uh, to cap it off, uh, I got some non-TV recommendations. Nice. I don't know whether the next one is considered TV or not, sure. la, but it's uh, Hassan Minaj's latest Ooh, comedy special on Netflix, The King's Jester. I liked it. Uh, it's very, very good. Yeah. Um, if you miss Patriot Act, uh, The King's Jester functions almost as a quasi-sequel to Patriot Act yeah. because the majority of the comedy special deals with the consequences of his comedy on Patriot Act. Mm-hmm. And it's like good, and noble intentions, the dangers that he faced, yeah. things like that. Yeah. Uh, one particularly not funny, but turns out to be funny, but also harrowing story yeah. of maybe Antrax falling on his baby. Oh, it's, no. it's, it's, it's pretty insane. It's a great it comedy was. special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A good job. I mean, for a sophomore uh, comedy special, comedy special a, a good job again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, finally, uh, there's a movie coming at the end of the month to cinemas right, in Singapore. Second, Black Adam. Uh, <laughs> mm, it's about black people, so sure. Uh, it's called The Woman King. 
Oh uh, yeah, okay. The Woman King is uh, about the remarkable story of the Agoji, uh, mm-hmm. which is an all-female unit of warriors who protected the African kingdom of the Homi in the 1800s. Yeah. Uh, it's about you know the the movie is about the skills and their fierceness. It's uh and it is it, it's unlike anything the world has ever seen, and it's not fake like no. Black Panther or Wakanda Forever or whatever. It's not like some inspired... weird uh, diversity thing that they're trying to do. Correct. Yeah. This was inspired by true events, mm-hmm. uh, and the Woman King specifically follows the epic journey of General Nantika, mm-hmm. uh, played by Viola Davis, as she trains the next generation of recruits and readies them for battle against an enemy determined to destroy their way of life. The Oyo Empire. Uh, yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's a very, very interesting action-packed high-octane film. So go catch The Woman King when it debuts in Singapore at the end of the month. Yeah, I'm excited yeah. to watch it too. That wraps it up for this episode of Journal uh, and Quality's Behold Podcast. Nice. We'll be back next month where we talk about Timothy Olyphant and Justified. Oh, can't wait. Can't wait! Or oh, one of the one of the greatest shows on in FX history, and yeah. it says a, a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because we are talking about Justified, I'm gonna you know find a way to mention Deadwood because most of the cast from Justified Probably is would. also in Deadwood. <laughs> yeah. uh, Timothy Oliphant playing the same character he's always played in in Deadwood, Just in Justified, day. in The Mandalorian, <laughs> uh, in The Good Place, randomly, you know. So yeah, uh, but this is the role that make Tol- that made Tol- Timothy Oliphant yeah. Timothy Oliphant definitely hundred yeah. percent. Absolutely. Uh, Till next time though, this has been Hit Zero. I'm Hardy. Goodbye, guys. Bye-bye.